Lord, that is our desire, uh, that you would send your son from heaven quickly, and that we would uh, be always with you and with him in perfect love and joy and uh, reverence and awe and delight. God, I pray that as we wait, you would use your word, even this sermon, to cause us to increase in all of those things, love and awe and reverence and fear and delight in you, in your son Jesus. God, I pray that you would uh, cause light to shine into darkness today and do the miracle of giving spiritual sight even to some who have never seen your glory shining in the face of Christ. I pray that by your power they might see it today. God, I pray you would work in each of us what is pleasing in your sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open your Bible, please, to Ecclesiastes, the end of it. The last two verses, these are very important verses, which can be very misunderstood, uh, such that they seem to contradict some other very important scriptures and may even seem hard to you to fit with other wisdom we learned earlier in Ecclesiastes. So look again at Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let's read them again. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So clearly, verse 13 is about the fear of God. And verse 14 is about the judgment of God. Fear and judgment. Those are the final notes on which this book ends after... It has encouraged us to live with wise and godly joy during our few and fleeting days on this earth. Remember how strongly Ecclesiastes has called us to rejoice. Rejoice in your youth. Rejoice in all of your years. Enjoy every gift of God, all His goodness. Well, if the main purpose or a main purpose of this book is to call us to enjoy God and His goodness... How is ending on a note about fear and judgment supposed to accomplish that? Well, the real issue there, if we can't seem to to reconcile these verses with that call to joy or with other scriptures, that the problem is a failure to properly understand what the fear of the Lord really is, and especially in relation to the judgment of God. These verses anchor all the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, and and so I think they're teaching us to understand that the fear of the Lord and awaiting his judgment are actually the two surprising foundations for the life of joy that God wants to give his people here under the sun. And we're actually only going to get through the first main point today, the first foundation for joy, the fear of God. The reason is, I I have learned so much about the fear of the Lord this week. I've been really helped by it. I want to share that with you. And here's another reason. It's good not to rush past verse 13 because this verse urges us 
to consider how the fear of the Lord is related to the whole Bible. And it even claims that the fear of the Lord is as big as the whole Bible. What does it say? That fearing God is the whole duty of man. It is the sum total of everything God has said. You and me and every man should do. And so if we want to test this well and explain this well, we're going to have to do that in light of all that God has said in the Bible. So uh, get ready to write down the references of a lot of different verses today. Because I want to make this, un- this idea in verse 13 understandable. Why can it say, after all has been heard, this is the end, that fear God and keep His commandments would be the whole duty of man, or, or more literally, the whole of man. All, all of man, the way to be fully alive, the way to be everything God intended for a human being to be, is to live in the fear of God. Well, that's a big claim, and we're going to need the whole Bible to understand it. Saints of old have understood this, I think, more than we do today. Uh, There's a flippancy with which we think about God and approach God, and then sometimes we try and overcorrect and advocate for a kind of fear of the Lord that I don't think the Scripture commends for believers. John Murray said, the fear of the Lord is the very soul of godliness. John Calvin said, the fear of God is the root and origin of all righteousness. John Owen said, the fear of the Lord means the whole worship of God and all the obedience which we owe to him. And they're right. And it's not just Ecclesiastes 12 that teaches us this. Nor is it, as some may suppose, that the fear of the Lord was just the the main way that Old Testament saints would relate to God before Christ came. But now that he has, things are different. And And that's not true. I'll just give one New Testament example for now. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It says, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. So so that's telling gospel-believing Christians to strive after living a completely holy life in body and soul, and that completion of holiness will come when you fear God like you should. All the commandments of God can be summed up in this one. Fear God. And in fact, in Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord stands in for the law of the Lord, or the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Okay, all of those phrases describe basically the same thing, right? His law, his precepts, his commandments, his rules. Well, Psalm 19 teaches us that another way to sum up all those same things is the fear of the Lord. Now, some of you may be wondering, I hope some of you are, how does this mesh with what Jesus said was the summing up of all God's commandments and law? Jesus said, love God fulfilled the law, summed it up. He said the first and greatest commandment was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then under that, love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two laws depended all the law in the prophets. Jesus basically said, love God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. 
are these verses in conflict? They're not. The words of the wise come from one shepherd. These verses are singing the same song in perfect two-part harmony. The godly love of God and the godly fear of God are actually, in effect, the same thing. They describe the same holy heart attitude we should have toward God. Each of these two exalted commands, fear God and love God, they help interpret the other. We do not love God like we should unless we love Him with a trembling, awestruck love. And we do not fear God like we should unless it is a cherishing and adoring fear. The book of Deuteronomy brings these two threads together. When Jesus said, you shall love the Lord with all you've got, he was quoting Deuteronomy 6. But Mike read it earlier. But did you hear that, that on either side of the command to love God with everything was the call to fear God? Deuteronomy 6, 1, 2. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. The Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them, that you may fear the Lord your God by keeping all his statutes. And then Moses proclaimed a little while later, 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. And then he turns right around and says again in 6, 12 and 13, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Moses summarizes for the people what their whole duty before God is. And he says, now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What's your whole duty? To fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What does God require? Love him with a trembling, awestruck love. And fear him with a cherishing, adoring Fear And Scripture says both of these things. This helps us also to equate them and, and, and use them to interpret the other. That both the love of God and the fear of God is the heart motive that leads to keeping all the other commandments. Jesus said in John 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Deuteronomy 8.6 says, You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by fearing him. And I think in our verse in Ecclesiastes, the, the order of the words indicates the same truth. Fear God, then keep his commandments. It wouldn't be quite right to, to flip the phrase. Because holy fear, like holy love, is the heart that makes a person want to obey God's commandments. This is the heart that fuels all true obedience to any command of God. A trembling love of God or an adoring fear of God. Think about how Scripture talks about both. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and they are not burdensome. The love of God makes the commandments of God our delight. We want to keep them because we love Him. The fear of God does the same. Psalm 112, verse 1 
says, the man who fears the Lord greatly delights in God's commandments. Or, the same truth turned around, Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Now, I want you to think carefully about that. There are many verses that connect the fear of the Lord to turning away from evil. Uh, Job 28.28 is one. But Proverbs 8.13 is taking us deeper than that in saying the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That's not just talking about someone's actions. That's talking about what's happening deep in someone's heart, down at the level of what you love and hate. The fear of the Lord turns away from evil because the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil because it is just interconnected with loving God and his ways. The one who fears God with trembling adoration greatly delights in his commandments. Okay, let's press in deeper here. If, if all of this is true, that, that the proper fear of God and love of God always go together in man's heart, that, that both acting together are the one undivided heart underneath all real human righteousness and godliness and commandment keeping. Well, have you ever heard of a man who, who lived perfectly keeping all of the commandments of God? What about Jesus, God's Son incarnate, who lived a perfectly righteous human life, who kept all God's law, who loved God with all his heart, always and in every way, all the way down? We have to say, don't we, that Jesus was and is everything God wanted mankind to be, right? He, he did the whole duty of man, if anyone did. So did he. Fear God, the Father he loved and knew so intimately in this way that we've been talking about. Well, we don't, we don't have to connect logical dots. Scripture tells us directly, yes. Isaiah 11. Verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 11, 1 begins, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That's a Christmas prophecy. It's, it's about the coming Messiah, who's, who's coming in the family tree of David, Jesse. But, but now listen, usually we just read verse 1 at, at Christmas Verse 2, what, what does Isaiah 11 say will characterize the coming Messiah, the Christ? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then 11.3 says, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus loved and obeyed God exactly as a perfect man should. He did so always in the loving fear of the Lord. It was his great delight as a man to have the holy fear of God fill his human heart. 
the kind of fear I've started to try and explain. The kind of fear that is the very soul of godliness, a cherishing, adoring fear, a reverential, awe-filled, trembling with delight love. Now, to understand this, some of you might be thinking, this is, this is crazy, I don't understand this. And that's because, well, maybe, I don't know, there could be all kinds of reasons for that. But, but one reason, it, it could be you need to recognize there are different kinds of fear with which someone could fear God. There's a way to fear God that Scripture commends, and there's a way to fear God that Scripture forbids and tells us not to do. Sometimes both come out of the same passage of Scripture. When God came down on Mount Sinai to meet His people Israel that He had just redeemed, Moses said in Exodus 20, 20, on behalf of God, do not fear this, this great, awesome appearance of God. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you that you may not sin. Another example, 1 Samuel 12, 20 and 24. Samuel said to the people, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil, but don't turn aside from following the Lord. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Don't be afraid of the Lord. Only fear the Lord. Understand, not every way you might fear the Lord is the kind of fear God wants you to feel. He wants you to have the kind that leads to all godliness, the kind that's the whole duty of man. There's a godly fear of God and an ungodly fear of God. There's a holy fear of God and an unholy fear of God. There is a fear of God that is at home in the heart of those who love God. And there is a fear of God that is different, that is at home in the heart of even those who hate God. James chapter 2 says, demons know the truth about God and they tremble, they shudder, they fear God in some sense. But they don't have the smallest drop of godliness in them or love for God. In the Gospels, the demons cry out before Jesus Christ. They're filled with fear and terror and dread and they say, have you come to torment us before the time? Have you come to destroy us? And, and Scripture does tell an uncomfortable truth that, that that kind of fear actually should be shared by people who are headed for, for the same eternity as the devil and his demons. Everyone who's not following Jesus, saved by his blood, is now headed for that judgment. In Hebrews 10, 27 through 31 speaks of a fearful expectation of judgment and the fire of God's fury that will consume his adversaries. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God when he comes in vengeance. But here's the thing. That kind of fear of God, the, the fear that someone who is headed for God's judgment, apart from salvation, that, that it is appropriate for them to fear, but... That lingering dread over 
God's righteous punishments, that, that kind of fear will not actually make someone desire to keep God's commandments from the heart out of love for him. Does it the demons? They fear and tremble over the judgment of God that's coming against them, but does that compel them in any way to turn away from evil? It doesn't. And the same will be true in your heart. Fear of God's punishments, his vengeance, it will not by itself motivate anyone to repent and run to God for mercy. It will, that fear is not the root and origin of righteousness. That fear will not lead you to have a change of heart to where you start to delight greatly in the commands of God. That kind of fear of his avenging right punishments will not make you start to love and adore God. It's a different kind of fear. Practically, I think there is confusion among this, even for Christians. If you're trying to become more holy just by making yourself more afraid of, of God's righteous judgments, that actually won't work. It will not cause your heart to start to delight more in his commandments. Now, we see this also in the book of Revelation. When, what, what would it be like when God's final judgment falls on sinful humanity? It says they're, they're terrified. They're filled with fear and, and dread over, over God's judgment. But even then, that fear they feel, it does not cause them to have a change of heart toward God in righteousness. And it never will. Now, if, 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 you, if someone becomes very fearful of, of God's wrath and punishment, that might make someone keep some of God's commandments externally. Their behavior will conform externally to the commandments of God, but it won't cause them to keep it from the heart, out of, out of love and a holy fear for God that, that actually hates evil. Now, no doubt, it can make someone hate the punishment coming for evil, which ultimately makes someone hate the judge who brings the punishment. But, but this fear doesn't cause someone to hate their sin in and of itself. This is where many go wrong in understanding the fear of the Lord. Christians see that the Bible says they need to live fearing God, and, and they think it means they need to live with a lingering dread at some level about God's punishments. But you know what? That is not the Christ-like kind of fear that Scripture commends to Christians. Only fearing God because you're afraid of His judgment is actually a sinful devil-like fear that will harden your heart against loving him more. It has to be more than that. Because see, what it's not a trembling adoration of God. It's not this heart-stopping, amazed delight in God. So that just can't be the kind of fear that God can point at and say, yes, that's the good, that's the good fear that I made man to feel and experience from the beginning. That's the whole of humanity right there. 
that dread of punishment. Now, some people live... Here's, here's a bad alternative. Some people live with no fear of God in their heart of any kind. Scripture talks about that, and that's actually the most dangerous place to be in. But if your eyes are open, even, even as an unbeliever, to see that you deserve God's judgments and you're headed for it, and that makes you afraid, that by itself won't turn your heart to God, but... What you should do is cry out to God out of that fear that he would work in grace in your heart to put a new and different fear in it that would make you want to run towards him instead of away from him. The fear in the demon, in in the unbeliever, only fear of God's punishment just makes people want to run from him. What what did Adam do right after he sinned? He hid from God because he was afraid. What will mankind do in the end in Revelation when God's judgment is poured out? Revelation 6, 15 through 17 says they won't cry out, God have mercy on me, I repent. It says they'll cry out to the rocks and caves to fall on them. Hide me, hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. Sinners with this unholy fear of God only see God as a harsh and severe master. And so they only want to shrink back further from him. So here's the great difference. Here's the distinction. One of them about the holy fear of God, which flowers into the love of God. This is the fear that makes a person want to run to God in view of God's offer of mercy. It makes a person want to seek God instead of hide from him. It's a fear that drives a person to take refuge in God instead of seek refuge from God. And the Psalms connect all of those things, fearing God, taking refuge in Him, seeking Him. And this is the the fear that God will give as a gift to all who will look to Him for mercy and, and come to Him in repentance because they see that God is so gracious, not just a just avenger, but a gracious and forgiving God. Jeremiah 32, 40 is a prophecy about the new covenant that God is going to make. The new covenant that we know he established on the basis of the blood of Jesus. And what is this relationship with God? What's part of it that God will bring forgiven sinners into on the basis of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus? Jeremiah 32, 40 gives us part of the answer God says, in this covenant, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. You see that? It's the fear that makes you want to run to God and never leave, to never turn from him. It's the kind of fear that makes you afraid to run away from him because you see God's grace in Christ is is a sure hope for you and the only refuge for you. Now, understanding this, this fear that runs toward God and not from God, it helps to make so much sense of so much scripture. And, and, I, and I hope it, it also liberates for you in your mind when you read these, these things in the Bible that call you to fear God. Don't look at that and say, oh, that's kind of undesirable. 
No, this, this is a fear that brings you to God and, and want to never turn away. And so that's why the Bible says things like, God's mercy is for those who fear him. Not like the demons, but in this way. And his fatherly compassion is for those who fear him. And his steadfast love stretches as high and as far as his love can go for those who fear him. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting is the steadfast love of the Lord to those who fear him. As Psalm 103, 11, 17, and 13 Psalm 25, 14, this will blow the old categories that you may have had of what it means to fear the Lord. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. If you have the right fear of God in your heart, it will make you more confident and happy in coming to God in the name of Christ and seeing God as your friend. It will make you cower away from him Psalm 118.4 says, Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So the, the fear of God, Scripture commends as your whole duty, is the fear of trembling adoration that comes from hoping in the love that God has shown sinners in Christ. Does that sound desirable to you? It should. You should pray, God, give me that fear. Give me that delight. Give me that trembling love that comes from a sight of your love and grace. The Bible ties together the righteous fear of God and hoping in God's love. Psalm 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, who hope in his steadfast love. It's wonderful. If, if you run to God with this humble, trembling hope for his mercy, God will spark in you a new fear that, that starts to push out the old fear. It's a new fear that's in harmony with loving God instead of that old fear that is opposed to the love of God. That is opposed to believing that God could love you and give grace to you. And this is what 1 John 4 explains. Maybe you've thought about this verse. 1 John 4 teaches how God's love displayed in Christ can, can save us and win our hearts for God. 1 John 4 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Okay, now listen to how believing in God's saving love in Christ will affect the people who actually put their confidence in it. It says, by this, love is perfected in us. 
And he later explains, we start to love because he first loved us. Love is perfected with us so we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. What kind of fear? Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See this. When you start to trust in the loving salvation God gives in His Son, and you see how, how the Son of God took upon Himself the wrath and judgment that we deserve for our sins. That's what it means when 1 John 4 says He's propitiation. He took that as our substitute so it could be turned aside from us. And if you believe that God did that for you out of love, then that old devil-like fear starts to go. And a trembling, awestruck love starts to move in. The true love of God starts to cast out the old fear that was just about the fear of punishment on the day of judgment. Because we see how God's loving sacrifice of His Son, what did 1 John 4 say, gives us confidence for that day. It doesn't make us cower about that day. It gives us confidence not because of how we've loved, but because how God has loved us in giving His Son. And so love casts out that fear, and then together with love grows in our hearts this other kind of fear that so many other scriptures talk about, the kind that is the whole duty of man, the kind that is the completion of holiness, the kind that simply is the love of God properly calibrated if love is going to be set on a being that is so glorious and great and good as God is. L love differs depending on the object of the love. Right? If you love little Caesars, that's not, that's not ever going to be a trembling kind of adoration. It shouldn't be. If you love God, that is a love that has amazement, and wonder, and even a kind of happy fear as part of it. You're awestruck. It's a trembling delight in the goodness of God. And that is the root of all righteousness. Not, not I'm afraid of Him, but I adore Him. I'm, I can't get over how gracious He is. It amazes me. Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Now here's another way to understand this. That this adoring fear is put in the hearts of believers by the Holy Spirit. And remember, I say this because the Spirit in Isaiah 11 is called the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Who rested on the Son of God when He lived here as a man. Okay, the Spirit makes us to see by faith in Jesus that together with Jesus, because of what Jesus did, we are counted as sons who are loved by God. Together with Him. And with that understanding, then the Spirit pours into us the same delightful fear of God the Father that dwelt in the human heart of Jesus, the Son. So Romans 8.15 is explaining this. Romans 8.15 you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Well, who cried Abba, Father first in the Bible? That would be Jesus. So in Christ, the Spirit helps us stop fearing God in just the way a slave would view a harsh master. It's what it says, that you haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into that kind of fear. And in what is the way that a slave would view a harsh master? What kind of fear? Not with any love and admiration for that master, but only fearing his potential punishment. Instead, in Christ, we have the spirit of sonship, that we are adopted into the father-son love that Jesus has with God. And so we now come to love and revere God as, as a loving father. And we fear not his punishments, though we do fear his fatherly discipline, but we receive that and view that as another gift of love, not an expression of vengeance toward us. And, and, and instead of fearing the consequence of sin, we fear displeasing him and dishonoring him because we love him and because we are secure in his love. And, and you know, other New Testament verses connect our fear for God to viewing God as a loving father. It's, it's amazing. Like the verse, the verse I read near the beginning of the, service, of the sermon, 2 Corinthians 7, 1 The verse right before that, God promises his saved people, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty. Then we're told, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and soul and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. First Peter also grounds the believer's fear of God in the same great realities. First Peter 1, 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, the rest of this earthly life. And then verse 18 gives another reason. Why should you do that? Well, because know that God bought you as his child at, at the infinitely great cost of the precious blood of his son Jesus, not with perishable things like silver and gold. So if God is your father and Jesus is your redeemer, and conduct yourself with fear, that the kind that would tremble to displease the Father who loves us and the Savior who saved us, because you tremble with adoration for how he's made you his child. I, I, I have to ask, you have to ask yourself, you know, two questions. One, do you fear God? And two, if so, How? Is it the fear that even demons have that just dreads punishment he can bring? Or is it the Christ-like fear that delights in the greatness and love of God the Father? And the latter, that the latter kind of fear, that's just part of the rightful response to knowing God who's so glorious and so good. And and I could show you verses that, that say that we should fear God and stand in awe of Him in light of His holiness and His greatness and His power and His wisdom and His majesty and His immensity. And there's lots of them, but, but I think you 
can understand that concept more readily than this next one, that there are also verses say, we should fear God and revere him also because of his grace and love and mercy and compassion. You have to get this. The, the fear of God that is the soul of godliness, it's not just standing in awe of his, of his power and, and transcendent holiness. It is also standing in awe of his mercy and compassion and, and love, especially as it's given in Christ. So it's, don't think this way. Don't think that we should fear God for his transcendent holiness and great exalted you know, omnipotence. But, but then we should love God for his tender mercies. The Bible doesn't teach us to think that way. The Bible teaches you, you should love God for all of who he is. And you should fear God for all of who he is. Trembling adoration at his exalted greatness and his grace and goodness. If, if you can't see how that's connected, you're not thinking rightly about what the fear of God really is. And it will hold you back in righteousness. That's going to hold you back in joy in the Lord. Didn't we, we sang in Psalm 130 that there is forgiveness with God that he may be feared? Wow, God forgives graciously. I, I adore him, trembling because of that. That's the response we should have, that he may be feared. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then the next verse says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, 34, 8 and 9. And the prophets foretold how the people of God would, would, were going to fear God when he finally saved them, and they would fear him on account of how good he was being to them. Jeremiah 33, 10 says, They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide. Hosea 3, 5 looks forward to when the children of Israel shall come in fear to the Lord and will come in fear to his goodness in the latter days. Charles Spurgeon once said, God's goodness often fills us with amazement, and amazement has in it an element of fear. We are astonished at God's gracious dealings with us. We say to God, why have you been so good to me for so many years in such multitudes of forms? Why have you manifested such mercy toward me, such tenderness toward me? Have you ever had thoughts like that? Well, that's something of the godly fear of the Lord. Spurgeon continues, God, you have treated me like, like I have never grieved or offended you in the forgiveness you've given. God, your love is like the sun. I cannot gaze upon it. Its brightness would blind my eyes. I fear because of thy goodness. We could add many more scriptures besides which we should expect if this really is the whole duty of man. Now, I, I think you're ready to understand this ending of Ecclesiastes. Why the fear of the Lord is the foundation for the highest and truest joys, because the kind of fear that leads to all righteousness and obedience 
is just the natural result of knowing God rightly, standing in awe of Him, the trembling adoration in light of seeing God's greatness and God's goodness displayed both, especially in what Christ has done to save you and make you God's beloved child. And so now... You can understand why Ecclesiastes ends this way. Now you can understand other verses like Nehemiah 1.11. Nehemiah 1.11 says, God, your servants delight to fear your name. It's not a fear that fills them with dread and sorrow. It's like the heart of Jesus whose delight was in the fear of the Lord. Again, Psalm 112.1 The blessed man who fears the Lord delights to keep God's commandments. Psalm 47, 1 and 2 gives this call. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Because the Lord the Most High is to be feared. Psalm 2, 11. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. In light of all these scriptures. Now you also perhaps will know why Sinclair Ferguson uh, gives this definition of the fear of God. I love this. He says, the godly fear of the Lord is. Well, and he begins his definition by saying it's indefinable. But hang on. The godly fear of the Lord is that indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he's done for us. Yeah, that makes sense of all the ways the Bible uses this term, the fear of the Lord, that we've looked at. And listen, here's to connect one more dot for you. This kind of fear is also what enables you to do what Ecclesiastes has been calling you to do, namely to enjoy just the everyday gifts of God that you have, like your daily bread and your daily work and your family and your rest and your worship. Enjoy those things. How? In in the fear of the Lord. And and this, this is connected to what God told Israel in Deuteronomy 14, 23 through 26. He says, Before the Lord your God, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, of the firstborn, of your herd and flock. Enjoy these good gifts of God in his presence. Why? That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice. You and your household. Why? Because the enjoyment of all these good things you have, the dinner you're going to eat tonight, the family you have, that should lead you to a greater adoring fear of God. And then a greater adoring fear of God should lead you to a greater enjoyment of all good things. It'll make your dinner taste better. It'll make your relationship with your family sweeter. It'll make you more contented, happy at at, at your job. Every good gift of God. If you really have this joyful fear of a glorious and gracious God who is your Father, who is your Father, if Christ is your Savior. Now here's the last thing in conclusion. 
recognize that when this short, vain life under the sun is over, Scripture teaches that everyone's fear of God, whatever kind of fear of God they have, except the people who have no fear of God, that's going to be solved. But, but every, everyone's fear of God after this life is going to be kicked into overdrive for, for eternity. For those who don't know God or not saved, their unrighteous fear of his punishments, they, they will rise to a, a fever pitch and, and never go away or lessen as, as they receive in dread the judgment they're due for their sins against God. But those who do know God who have been saved by his grace as a free gift in Christ, which is yours if you will come to him even in this hour. For those who do, their righteous fear that God has already planted in their heart and started to grow, that trembling adoration of God will also rise to new heights and it will never go away or lessen. Have you thought ever about being so happy in heaven because of the way that you will fear God there and adore him in a trembling way. In Revelation, heaven sings, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Revelation 15.4. Angels proclaim from heaven, fear God and give him the glory. Revelation 14.6. And saints and angels fall down before God who's seated on the throne before the Son. And they say, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice from the throne will come and say, Praise our God, all you his saints, you who fear God, both small and great. And, and the trembling awe that believers will know then. I mean, we all believers have at least a grain of this. But all believers are also grieved at how small and dull this awe is in our hearts, aren't we? Compared to what we know God deserves in heaven, this trembling awe that we have of God will, will, will rise and it will be the greatest thrill and satisfaction that you have ever known. Or we could say your delight will be in the fear of the Lord forever and ever. And when you experience that, Christian, then you'll really understand, wow, this is the whole of man. This is what everything God created man to be, and it is wonderful to fear and love God like this. God, thank you for your grace and goodness, which drives out the fear of punishment by, by the perfecting of love and puts in its place an adoring, trembling reverence that makes us love you more. God, I pray that, that you would, by your power and grace, cause all the believers in this congregation to know more of that fear and love. And I pray you would also cause all who are in this congregation who don't know you to have their heart feel pierced by the kind of fear that would make them want to run to you and, and not hide from you and to find your grace. God, we praise you for your mercy and we fear you because of your mercy. 
in Jesus' name, amen.